What does Australian football legend Kevin Sheedy, a Japanese wool manufacturer, and a merino wool grower from the UK, yes, a merino wool grower from the UK, have in common? Well, you wouldn't think they'd have much, but they do, and if you keep listening for the next 12 minutes or so, you'll hear them all, because they're all in this edition of The Yarn, a podcast from the Australian wool industry. Hi, I'm Marius Cumming, and with a large population, cold climate and affluence, Japan is a big user of wool. It's actually in the top three behind China and the US. So when Japanese textile giant Itochu speaks, it's well worth listening. My name is Mike Gritani from Itochu Corporation in Osaka. Uh, this time I wanted to mention about the skin contaminations in the merino lambs. I know we realize the difficulty in sharing the merino lambs wool because of the skin type, but the contamination of the skin creates a lot of problems during the processing and uh, mending the fabric and costs quite a lot in the end. And some people drop off from that project because of cost structure. And if this problem was solved in a a sharing sheds, uh, it will be minimum cost create a bigger market, I believe. Now you demonstrated it really well because you had a piece of fabric here that had uh, obviously some skin pieces in it and the dye, the red dye was taken up very intensely in the skin pieces and you could see it, there's dots all through yes. it and it's clearly, uh, the, the fabric is ruined yeah. and so you're saying to wool growers, please take more care to make sure you get exactly. all the skin out of those merino yeah, exactly. lambs yes. on the table and so yeah. you're saying Turn the fleece over. Obviously, you've got to pick through lamb's wool, but turn it over so this, any skin pieces are facing yes, up. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to convey this message to them. This will create a new market, I'm pretty sure, but at the moment, it's too costly, and what, in general, the people doing is to blend it with other fibres and not, not other part of the wool. For example, the typical example is to cutting the wool top into the lamb's length and making garment and call it is a lamb sweater. Yes, it's skin free, but no handle of the lamb's wool. This is an extreme way, but it's very common, commonly going through in the market. And that doesn't help to create a new market. Yeah, and they, they look, the jumpers that you showed over there, they, they, are, they, they really have a magnificent handle, as you say, they're yeah. just so soft. And you can see how it could easily be a, a yeah. new market, but also easily ruined. Yeah, as long as we produce a, uh, the genuine lamb's wool, yes, the people at the retail shops is really blink their eyes and uh, oh, this is a good and soft wool, and they buy. But uh, if we don't use such a raw, uh, genuine lamb's wool, uh, we cannot make such a quality yeah. of the garment. And uh, shops clerks love it, love this one. Now, Mike. There will be people listening to this that are shouting right now saying, well, this is easy. It's very labour intensive in the wool shed. We would love to put someone else on into the shed to be more careful uh, picking through and to get all the skin pieces, but we have to be paid more for the wool to pay for the extra staff. So there's, a, there's one of those things. So what do you say to wool growers that say it's, it's just a matter of price? Yeah, from the grow, uh, from the manufacturer's side, Considering the cost of the mending charge, I think this is bearable to pay such a premium. But we have to educate such the manufacturers first 
how much you can save cost by paying this this amount of small money, and then eventually, I believe we can pay the premium for such a work, extra work. So how do we do this? So uh, uh, I'm shearing my lambs and I'm I'm making sure I'm getting every piece of skin out of there. How do I sell it to you for a higher price? How do we how do I identify it in the market? Just we have to listen to the growers. Message and whether we trust or not, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know, but we have to trust. Otherwise, we, nothing, nothing. We cannot start the ball rolling. Yeah. So we have to trust. Well, perhaps it's a good example of where everyone is in this industry together, and no one actually sells any wool until someone buys a garment. And uh, I think uh, maybe it's one of those occasions where it's just a better collaboration. Yeah, I think so. Mike Kiritani from Itochu there, and uh, now let's head to the UK. In fact, to a merino wool grower. Leslie Pryor runs one of only two merino flocks in the United Kingdom. It's a fact that might surprise many in Australia, but Leslie says it's actually very normal that there would be merinos in such a cold and wet climate. Well, why would there not be? We've had merinos in the UK for 200 years. King George III brought the first merinos over from Spain in uh, the 1780s. They flourished for well over 100 years. We, in fact, were exporting rams to Tasmania and New South Wales in the early days of the colony. We exported some cracking rams into Tasmania in particular. I've got a fantastic photograph of a ram bred in Essex in 1860, um, who was one of the foundation studs for Bellevue in Tasmania. Many other good rams came from England to, to found the core of some of your great flocks. So we have a long history of growing merino. The problem is, with increasing industrialisation in England, we needed to feed our town populations, and with the best wool in the world, the merinos of those days were not meat animals. Fantastic wool, but weren't so good on meat. And when we had developed Australia as a colony, we used you guys to produce the fine wool, which we then imported into the UK. And you ate your merinos. We ate our Marinos. Which we're doing now here. Exactly. So, yeah. it's going so around in a circle. Yes, you're you're reinventing so, right. our wheel. So I, I, asked, I, asked, I did ask a dumb question. It's no, a little. Didn't. It's a bit like Americans landing in Italy saying, "Hey, you guys got pizza here too." Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so, so we have a history. That's the point. It's and they are a Saxon base. They, uh, mine are a Saxon base. Yes, they are. So they. Uh, what What do they look like? I know that's a hard uh, thing to do. They're fairly small. Uh, so you would you would recognise them. Somebody with traditional Saxons would recognise them, but. But actually, we are moving slightly away from that because we need a little bit more volume, a little bit more production off the back of a slightly bigger animal. They suit our climate, the Saxon type suit our climate, because obviously we're high rainfall. Um, but within that, we're now trying to increase body size and wool cut. So we have, for example, moved into um, buying rock bank genetics, so we've got rock bank in there. That works very well in our climate. Um, and we're over here at the moment. Uh, part of the reason we're over here is to look for another lines, for other lines of genetics to bring in. Uh, and we're looking for a particular type. We're still trying to go for the quite blocky staple, uh, the traditional high crimping walls, the sort that the Italian mills love, the traditional Italian spinners type wool. Uh, that's what we're after, that's what we've got already, and we don't want to move too far from that, but we need a bigger frame and a bit more potential for a meat lamb off the back of it, or at least a lamb that would go into the meat trade if it needed to. Yeah. At the moment, the lambs go, would go out as light lambs, what we call light lambs, uh, and because there's so much surplus lamb in the UK, 
we would struggle to find a market for them at all. So we really need a little bit more frame. Now, you are a bit of a celebrity on the campaign for wool circuit. <laughs> Right. Dare I say? Yeah. yeah. But you are—you have been seen at many a campaign for wool seen, event and wool mark event. Yes. So the question is: yeah. uh, Is it making a difference? The, oh, uh, tell us how it's making a difference. Oh, phenomenal! I know it must be hard for you guys in Australia to see this. This but is we, exactly right. We yeah. see it on the ground in Europe, where, where your stuff ends up is in high-quality, uh, top-notch products in all the European markets. You know, your top-quality walls goes into fantastic suits, wonderful knitwear, designer products. It looks the stuff. It looks the business. It's really top-quality gear. Now that is really beginning to take off, and it's filtering down a little bit to the more mass market areas and some of the companies I mean you've probably seen people like Adidas and Nike are really taking up wool in a big way that's going into pretty mass market stuff it might be expensive but it's still mass market there are a lot of companies who are really beginning to see the value of using wool Benetton for example now that's a very well known international chain um, Italian fashion chain for knitwear haven't they, haven't they always used wool though? they have but they're now really promoting it and they've just come on board by joining IWTO and they are really, really committed to wool. Many other companies are doing the same. They're just realising the value of wool. Um, and I think that's because of awareness being raised, more publicity around it, more information out there. The money, in fact, that you guys are spending putting into the campaign for wool is really beginning to pay off. Marino Woolgrower from Devon in the United Kingdom. That's Leslie Pryor. And while I was speaking with Leslie, the Australian Football League was uh, playing a game. The teams Geelong and Essendon were playing a football match. Not any match, but the country match, celebrating the massive contribution that country people have made to the game and indeed the nation. Now, given AWI's own fibre of football campaign, we've actually had a lot to do with the instigator of this country match. His name is Kevin Sheedy. To me, I think it's important that we recognise the great contribution that our farming people and country people uh, have done over 200 years since the, since the start of the colonisation of Australia. And, you know, when you look back, they never get thanked a lot. And this game is uh, sort of like a memorial to them. What do you hope to achieve with it? It's a, an obvious question, but... Well, I think to connect city to the country. I think there's a, a bridge that needs to be built a bit. I, I think that the... Uh, the city people are that much, we're all that much in a hurry down in the big cities of Australia. Um, but you don't need to, to leave your brother out there just by himself. It's a connection. And I think if we get it right, and I think we will, I think this game's going to go into a monster Anzac Day type game. Got no doubt about that. I mean, the field day outside the MCG is going to be sensational. Uh, and only some of the organisations in country uh, only starting to understand the, the power and opportunity everybody will have. I spoke to 150 mayors of coastal cities of Australia and Brisbane only a week ago and they love the opportunity to bring their regions to Melbourne and possibly put a marquee exhibition all the way from Federation Square to the MCG. So it's got serious legs, probably Probably like a centipede, it's got a lot of legs. So what do we what do we have to do to get you to have a go at shearing a sheep? Um, no, I've, she I've, I've done that, that's not that hard. Shear a sheep, come on. Oh, don't tell us shearing a day. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kevin, for no everything worries. you've done. Okay. All the best. No AFL legend Kevin Shee there. And it does sound like we need to get sheets to shear a sheep before too long. Uh, apparently, he thinks it's quite easy. 
Okay, so uh, that was quite a diverse episode of The Yarn. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you have any ideas for The Yarn, please drop me a line at theyarn at wool.com. That's it for now. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Farewell. <laughs>